You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Okay, Bo and KD, today we finally come to... I think we we like to call this the most pivotal topic in the 12-week series called The Pursuit. This is topic number six. It's right in the middle. And and this is where we've, this is the topic that we've been sort of driving toward this whole time for, for six weeks now, for five weeks. And now this is week number six. We've been walking with people with a Mormon background, helping them understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus in the biblical sense. And I know people have been learning a lot about sin and God and Jesus and all these things, but today is the is the moment where um, people can actually take an action, and and really because what we're going to talk about today is is how to become a Christian, and I, we should we should start with this. I want to just make a statement that is probably going to be shocking to our our listeners with a Mormon background. You come you come to faith in a moment biblically becoming a let's say it like this becoming a child of God is something that happens in a moment. We said, what, two weeks ago, that we're not actually all children of God, that we're all children of wrath, that we were all born into sin, but we become children of God in a moment. Uh, John 1, 12, I think, talks about that, that we that anyone who, is, who has put their faith in Jesus has the right to become children of God. So we're not born naturally children of God. Be, so we become children of God, or we become Christians, or we come to faith, or how, whatever words we, we use. That happens in a moment, and we're going to get to that moment for our listeners today. But, but Bo, Katie, I think in Mormonism, that's just a foreign concept, right? Even the the term "coming to faith," right, um, it can I, I think get misconstrued. I think there's there's a lot of different terminology that I think Mormons use and Christians use differently, right? So maybe let's just say uh, the moment you become saved, mm. right? Okay, for for a Christian, that moment um, is a moment. And for a Mormon, it's not. For a Mormon, it is a lifetime of obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel um, in order to to receive salvation. Uh, so, so it's quite a bit different. And obviously to, to any, any, anybody with a Mormon background listening right now, thinking that it's possible to, to be saved in a moment— uh, is, is probably <laughs> wondering where that's found in the Bible, because that's not how they were raised. It's definitely not how I was raised. And I remember reading these scriptures thinking, no, 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 I, <laughs> I've read the Bible plenty of times, and I don't remember reading these verses. And especially, hmm. you know, after reading the Bible again, um, I, I would say seeking for truth differently than, than, you know, when I read it. As a believing Mormon, all of a sudden it was just light bulb after light bulb about what uh, specifically the New Testament teaches about salvation. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm super excited to get into it today. And we'll get into those verses, but maybe let's keep trying to set the table for folks. So maybe we could do it like this. So Bo, if you were a missionary, you walk up to the door of the companion. Someone opens the door. They're totally receptive. They let they let you in. You go through the the discussions. What they were there were six of them at the time you were doing your mission. Uh huh. Yeah. At what point are you like high fiving your companion, saying he did it? He, 
I don't know, became yeah. a member is like, what, what is the, what was the goal? Maybe this is helpful. What was the goal for a Mormon missionary when it comes to this kind of stuff? Yeah. The, the, the goal of Mormon missionaries is to, um, help people become members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. And so for us, we were, we were high fiving when someone committed to be baptized that was the big deal because okay. for, for Mormons, again, Mormons believe that obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel is what allows you to receive salvation. So that would be faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, and then a bunch of other stuff in the temple. So um, baptism is, is critical in Mormon theology and actually is required for salvation. Now, we'll talk about baptism next week. That is actually the topic for topic seven. But I think that was really helpful for me to hear you say that. So you just said faith, repentance, baptism. What was the next thing you said? The receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, so for you as a Mormon missionary, you were trying to, you were like, the, the third one was important because it was probably the most measurable, I would imagine. It was like the metric that you're using, that you're, that you're talking to other missionaries. You're coming back telling your... I mean, am I getting this right? You come back telling your parents, like, I baptized X amount of people. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still remember how many people I baptized on my mission. I think every missionary hmm. knows that metric. Um, and look, there's a lot of metrics tracked on your mission. We don't have to get into all that, but you're right. That's the most important metric on a Mormon mission is you are creating members of the church. So, when, and, and maybe that's important to to call out here, and obviously we'll cover it next week a bunch, but baptism for Mormons is is specific to baptism in the LDS church. It's it's not just, you know, going to a river and getting baptized. It's you, you need to be baptized by someone in the church that has authority to baptize you. So that's what allows you to become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of a Mormon, of the Mormon church, which again, Mormons believe is the only true mm. church on the earth. So so to a Mormon, there's no other baptism that's valid, and there's no other way to get to heaven than being baptized um, in the Mormon church. Okay, so that's good. That's really helpful to hear. So, so let me say this now. That's not what this is. We're not talking about how to become a member of an evangelical church. That's not what topic six is about. This isn't about membership. This isn't about a list. This is about something that happens in the court of heaven. You know, the, in Revelation, it talks about having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. This is about something between you and God that happens because of God. You're saved in a moment, not in a lifetime of doing good works, not, not in a lifetime of keeping covenants. And even for you, Katie, that is such a difficult thing to wrap your mind around because your your whole life up until up until recently Katie was about keeping covenants and trying to sort of claw your way to you know to your place in in heaven or in the afterlife. You know, I did all of the ordinances. I did the whole checklist. And I had kind of reached the end of the list where I was uh, sealed in the temple with my husband and we had children in the covenant, and I felt like I was good as long as I didn't sin too bad, you know. And sort of, well, and kept going to church, honored my callings, endured to the end. Then, um, yeah, then I would be saved. 
That was my belief. So it was a radical, it was almost like your, both of you, your conversion experience, I liken it to Paul, Saul's conversion experience in Acts, because it was like he thought he was doing the right thing, persecuting Christians. And then Jesus is like, dude, why are you persecuting me? And then he blinded Saul for a few days. And then finally, some, the Bible says something like scales dropped from his eyes and he could see the truth. And then he just became a sold out Christian. And I think essentially that's what has to happen to people, anyone, but especially for someone coming out of Mormonism. Yeah, I would say all of a sudden I realized I could trust God's word. I could trust the Mm. Bible because it has been translated correctly. We have the original Greek manuscripts translated to English. Like we have it. Mm. Um, so, So no, it wasn't lost in translation. There wasn't some massive apostasy. Now, obviously, um, you know, humans aren't perfect and we're all trying to live the gospel as best we can, but, but we can trust God's word. God's word is perfect. And, uh, and in God's word, um, I I think, you know, Paul, Paul says it really well that, uh, our good works are, are filthy rags to God, right? Like, um, we, we cannot, there is, there is no rule book, right, that we can keep. The Ten Commandments, I can't even keep ten of them, right? Like, there, there's no rule book that we can keep to get us to heaven. There's no way that we can earn our way uh, for salvation. And it's not, that we, it's not that we make up half of a bridge and Jesus meets us halfway mm-hmm. with the other side of the bridge. That's, that's not how it works. Anyway, so I'm excited for this topic because this, this for me... Um, was huge in, obviously in my conversion, but but also just in in my realization of who God is, who Jesus is, who I am, and and why why my sin was such a problem, <laughs> and why I could not do anything about it. Well, when Jesus breathed his last, I lo- I love this. I love the vi- the word picture that this gives us. Jesus said, "It is finished." He didn't say, you can start now. <laughs> he said, it is finished. Now, we're going to talk in the next few weeks about what it means, like what the outcome of this should be in your life. So I don't want people to misunderstand what we're saying. Uh, we get, I get it. I get what, what Mormons for years living in Utah have taught in the ward about how Christians use grace as a license to sin. Look, I get that. I understand that everyone listening ha- probably could point out a dozen people that they know that say they're Christians that certainly don't act, act like Christians. I'm not going to justify those people. I don't know their faith. We'll, we'll learn in a couple weeks that, that what we're talking about today, when, when, you're, when you become a child of God and you get transformed from the inside out, it should change you. It should change the way you look at the world and it, you should be obedient and all these things. We're going to talk about all that stuff. So I, I don't want people to miss, I don't, A, I don't want people to misunderstand what we're saying today, but B, I don't want people to stop at lesson six because we're only halfway through. I think that's telling. We're only halfway through what it means to be a Christian. But still, I'm going to say this. Jesus doesn't wait for you to do works. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be obedient to him to declare you to be a child, a son or daughter of God. You be, you, I want our listeners to hear this. You can become a son or daughter of God today. You can do it today. We're going we're gonna to tell you how that happens. 
And so let's get to it. Let's. There's five things we want to say. And you know, this these talking points are in our standard edition of the pursuit. You can find it at pursuegod.org. This this episode six is for the is for the LDS investigator edition of the pursuit. So I think it's important for us to do what we've been doing, which is to make the statement, and then you guys need to help us understand how to explain that better to a to an LDS, someone with LDS backgrounds. Because even this first statement, it just dawns on me, like, I think on the surface of it, a, a Mormon wouldn't have any problem with this statement at all. Out of love, God sent Jesus into the world to solve our sin problem. Even the verse, 1 John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And KD, I like how last week, you and folks should go back and listen to the previous episode if you missed that one. But Katie, you mentioned just how the fact that Jesus is not just our older brother, but he's actually God, really did strike you that that really was love. Because you, I think you said last time, Jesus, if Jesus was just our older brother, then he had to come down here anyway. It was already in the cards for him to come down here. But that's actually, the Bible teaches that Jesus is, is God, the eternal son of God, and he didn't have to come down here. It wasn't in the cards for him. He didn't need to progress. He didn't have to come down here and get a body to progress. That's not at all biblical. And so it really, the God of the Bible really is loving to do that, to give his son for that. Yeah, he doesn't need us to add glory to him. Um, he is glory. He is holy. He is above, within, and he is everything. He's created everything right? That is the Christian God. He doesn't need us at all. So when he came, when Jesus came for a Christian, that means that he was fully bridging that gap for us, for our benefit, right? Because he doesn't need us. We do not add to his glory at all. We cannot bring anything to him that will add he is, he is complete. Okay, so that's the first point. Again, we've already we've we've spent forty five minutes on that last week. But the second point, I think, needs some clarification also. And and he, it comes from Acts chapter two, verses thirty seven and thirty eight. Here's the point: saving faith requires both the right information and the right attitude. So we've talked about the right information about Jesus, the right information about us. It, it, it's so different. The information we've covered in topics four and five about us and about Jesus, it lays the groundwork. So so it requires the right, it's like two sides of a coin, right information's on one side of the coin. We've already been over this. The other side of the coin needs some explaining though, and we call that the right attitude. The word that the, word that the Bible uses is repentance. Now that's a big word in Mormonism. And so I think it's important for us to help I don't want to like trigger people coming out of Mormonism saying, oh no, here this word is again. I thought maybe this wouldn't have to be a thing anymore. I want to make sure people understand this because I'll say it again. Saving faith requires the right information and also it requires the right attitude. You can't just have the right information. The demons have the right information. They know who Jesus is. (laughs) They know who they are, but they're not saved because they don't have the right attitude. They don't have an attitude of repentance. Here's the story that we like to use. Here's the, the... the word picture from the Bible that we like to use to explain this. Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon after Jesus ascends into heaven. People can go read his whole sermon in Acts chapter 2, but verse 37 says that his sermon his sermon pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, there's all these Jewish people sitting there listening to the sermon. 
And they said, brothers, what should we do? That right there is a picture of a repentant heart. A repentant heart, and we're not talking about like doing repentance forever. That's, we, maybe we should get into that. That's like a separate thing. I'm talking about this, the moment that it hits you, and maybe some people are having that moment today, the moment that it hits you that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, the moment that it hits you that you are who the Bible says that you are, that's what we're talking about. And that's what we see in this passage in, in Acts 2.37. What comes out of their mouths as a result, it says that they were that the, the words pierced their hearts, and then they said, what should we do? And that that's the picture of repentance. It says, I'm not going to go my way anymore. Like, I, I believe what you said. Now, what do I need to do about it? The focus is a bit different, right? So the focus is on the work required to repent in, in Mormonism. Um, and when it dawned on me, uh, going through the pursuit, that it's a heart attitude, like the heart attitude is what matters. Um, that's what allows you to change. That's what allows um, God to work in you, right? And cause the change to take place, to take place in Mormonism. It's different in Mormonism. There are required steps for repentance. There's, um, recognizing your sin, feeling sorrow for your sin, forsaking your sin, confessing your sin, typically to a priesthood leader, if it's a bad enough sin, um, making restitution, uh, forgiving others if, if you've harmed others, and then keeping the commandments of God moving forward is like proof of your repentance. So in Mormonism, that's what's kind of required. So when I, when I always thought about repentance in Mormonism, I always thought, okay, step one, recognize. Step two, feel sorrow. Step three, right? And it was just like this step-by-step process, and you almost forget about just the heart attitude. Mm. Yeah, and that that's a good way to say it, your heart attitude. It's to become a Christian is more than intellectual assent. It's more than just say, agreeing to a bunch of doctrinal points. Now, I think the doctrinal points are right. That's why we say it takes the right information. You got to have the right information. But this the heart part of this is important too. This heart attitude toward God that says, I, I want to do it your way now. I'm not going to try to be Lord of my life anymore. I'm not going to try to be on the throne of my life anymore. I think for a Mormon, even, we should say, I'm not going to try to work my way anymore. I'm not going to try to do something. Because this is what's got to be so offensive to God in Mormonism is so, it's so dependent on man. I mean, even going to the temple and being just the thought that you could do, you can save somebody, you can save your ancestors is repulsive. That thought of that is repulsive to God. You, nobody can save you but Jesus. So I do think for, a, for someone coming out of Mormonism, you need to turn your back on that kind of thought. The thought that your work has saved somebody the thought that your work can save somebody. You need to turn your back on that and say, I don't believe that anymore. That's not what the Bible teaches. And I repent of that. I say, God, I'm so sorry that I thought that I could, I thought that I could somehow add to your work, that I could, that I could somehow do, do for somebody else what only you could do for them. That's repentance. Number three. And we actually see this in part in, in the words, I just noticed this right now in verse 38, where he says, each of you must repent. Each of you. 
He doesn't say all of you together should do it like in unison. He says each of you should repent. And, and that's really what we're talking about in this third point is we start a relationship with God by personally trusting Jesus for salvation. What that means is if husbands and wives are listening to this, the wife can't do it for the husband, the husband can't do it for the wife. If you were listening with your kids, parents, you can't do it for your kids. Every individual person has the responsibility and the privilege of personally trusting Jesus for salvation. And, and the, I, the, the, biblical, the Bible verse for this, and there are many others, but this is the one that just is so clear. It's this, Romans 10, 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, get ready for it, you will be saved. Look at how simple that statement is. And Bo and KD, when you first really read this, I think this one really helped connect the dots for you both. Yeah, I think it was honestly really hard for me to wrap my head around it. If I'm going to be truly honest, I, I had never known a grace without works. I'd never known hmm. uh, how to really fully trust in Jesus because I believed that if I, I had a responsibility, you know, for my own salvation, I had something I needed to do. So, so this, this was hard to be honest, to wrap my brain around at first. I, I completely agree. I, I think, um, you all of a sudden realize that you can't earn it. Uh, and, and if you really understand, I, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about our sin problem. If you really understand uh, who God is and who we are as mortals, that divide, uh, that separation is impossible to overcome. And, and yeah, that this was, it was eye-opening for me for sure, because you, you just, you realize that this all this time <laughs> that you've been trying to earn it hmm. you've been trying to earn a free gift <laughs> i don't know how else to put it hmm. um yeah. but 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 when you realize that it's it's in a moment the moment you put your faith and trust in jesus christ that you're saved like for for me it changed it changed me it changed who I am. It changed who who I've become. I, and 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 it was staring at me in the face for thirty five years, thirty six mm. years. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read the Book of Romans, but um, for some reason, I just kept thinking, "No, there, I have a part to play in this, uh, in in my salvation story." And and no, Jesus, Jesus is the one that died and rose again. Jesus is the one that said it's finished. And, and Jesus, his name, uh, is, is the name. Um, he is the great I am. And, and it's through faith in Jesus and a belief in his free gift and uh, not of my own works. Lest, what, what's the scripture? Lest I should boast, right? Yeah, so. that's right. Well, yeah, let me read that verse again, Romans 10, 9. I, it's just such a simple verse. Katie, I think a few weeks ago you said something, something like, like biblical Christianity is so much simpler 
you there was just so you get so confused as a mormon there was so many things you had to try to understand or keep track of and biblical christianity is so simple and this might be the simplest part of it right here i know it's almost sounds too 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 good to be true but it's in the bible and not just here but this is one of the easiest places to to reference it romans 10 9 i'll read it again if you openly declare that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved and there's a i love the punctuation there's a period there there's not a dash or a semicolon or a parentheses or anything. It's just period. That's it. That's it is finished. It's done. That's it. That's the statement. If you declare that and look at the focus, it's Jesus. What are you doing? You're declaring that Jesus is Lord of my life. And what are you believing in? That God raised Jesus from the dead. Then you'll be saved. That's it. I mean, if it Paul was a very specific person. He was a Pharisee. He was very articulate. He knew how to use his words. If God wanted him to write something more in that verse, in that sentence, he would have. He would have written more, but he didn't. That's it. So, so for, for people out there coming out of Mormonism, I want you to just hear the simplicity of this. To confess means to say, literally it means to say the same thing. So when you confess Jesus is Lord, you're just saying the same thing about Jesus that God has already said about him, that he is what we, everything we said last week, that he is fully God that he's fully God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he did all that because he, because he loves you and because he wants to make a way for you to be reconciled to God. That's it. You, you can't add to it. Nobody else, can't, can, nobody else can add to it. You're, uh, you know, someone, when you die, someone here on earth can't go to a temple and add to it. Jesus did it all. And, and you're only, you're only decision that you have to the only decision you have to make is are you going to believe it are you going to declare and believe that's it that's the that's the this the simple beauty of god's word of the gospel this is the gospel gospel literally means good news that there is good news it's not good news to say that you've got to do all these other things in addition that doesn't sound like good news to me that sounds like a burden to me this is the good news of the Bible. This is the gospel of the Bible that Jesus did it all for you. Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing that you can do to add to the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's what the Bible teaches again and again and again. Yeah. Anytime we're talking about um, trusting in Jesus for salvation, I, I always think about the thief on the cross. And the, I think the reason I think about the thief on the cross is in Mormonism, there's, there's all these laws and ordinances that you have to adhere to if you're going to be saved. And Jesus told that thief on the cross that today you'll be with me in paradise. And, you know, that, that thief didn't have time to get baptized by the right authority. That thief didn't have time to, uh, to go to the temple. And now, and obviously, Mormons are going to say, yeah, but maybe somebody's going to do the temple work for mm. that thief one day, right? Mm. And it's like, no, guys, <laughs> that's nowhere in the New Testament are they ever going to say, and then we went to the temple and did the work, right? Like, no, Jesus did the work. Jesus did the work on the cross. He died and he rose again so that he could conquer sin and death. And, and anyone including the thief on the cross that believes in Jesus is saved. And, and it really is that simple. And, and for a Mormon, it's so hard to wrap your head around that. 
because your whole concept of God is this, I'll do this, God, and then you do that for me. Hmm. And we'll make this pact, mm-hmm. right? Like, like I promise I'm going to do good things, and then you promise that I'm going to be in a good spot with you. Hmm. And it's like this back and forth, and that's just, that is not... That's not the relationship that we're talking about when we say that God wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, when Abraham, when God made a covenant with Abraham, go back and read this. I think it's Genesis 15. God had made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and then he's going to confirm the covenant with him in Genesis 15. It's so interesting what he does there. He puts Abraham to sleep, and then God does all of the covenant stuff while Abraham is sleeping. It's all this stuff that has to happen back then, like cutting these carcasses in half and walking through the the way that the way that two men in in Abraham's day would have made a covenant. Let's say you were going to get your 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 daughter was going to marry the guy's son. You'd make this pact and you'd both meet in the middle. You'd cut these carcasses in in half and you'd meet in the middle. It'd be like a blood covenant. You say, hey, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, then may what happened to these to these cattle happen to you? And you know that was the whole deal. Go back and read Genesis 15, Abraham sleeps through the whole thing, and only God goes through the carcasses. And that is ex- that, that's exactly the picture that we're talking about here. God did all of the work. He is the only covenant keeper. He is the only promise keeper. We aren't. We're broken. We're sinful. We're imperfect. He keeps the covenant. We don't, and we benefit. And that's the beauty of the good news, the gospel. And the covenant, the the new covenant is Jesus Christ's blood. Mm. Like that's the covenant. The covenant that that he makes with all of us is that if you believe in Jesus, you're saved. That's his promise. And and it's it's not this series of works that you need to do. Um the, the promise actually is that when you believe in Jesus, you become a new creation and the Holy Spirit, God, dwells in you. It's not <laughs> like you become the temple of God. And yeah, and all the good, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, all the good stuff that results is by grace also, because it's the Holy Spirit in you doing it. So none of, here's the beauty of this, none of this you get credit for. None of this is something you can pat yourself on the back for. Now, maybe some people listening to this, this is why they want to reject it, is because they want to work for it. They want to get credit for it. Then guess what? You cannot come to God. Jesus won't accept you. If that's your heart and your attitude, that is not the attitude of salvation. That is not the attitude of repentance. That is the attitude of religion and the attitude of the Pharisees. Jesus even said, unless you come like a child, then you no one, then you can't enter. He's, he's talking about recognizing you're weak. He says, you, if you don't come like a child, then you can't receive the kingdom. What do you receive? You receive gifts. He's, the, all the language he uses is saying you can't try to earn it for yourself. In fact, that's the, next, that's the next point. This is probably the toughest point. Now, we've already said it a few times, but let's read the verse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Here it is. God saved you by his grace when you believed period. There's that period again, that darn period. God saved you by his grace when you believed, period. Not when you kept some covenants, not when you got baptized, not when you did all these other things. God saved you by his grace when you believed, period. And then he, just for good measure, he says this, 
and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. That's why you have to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child, because you receive it. It's a gift. You can't work for it. Children are powerless. Children can't contribute. Children are takers. They're not givers. And this is the only way to come to God. So again, if we have listeners, maybe we have a former bishop or a current bishop listening to this and saying, that is so offensive to me because of all these things I've done. I'm sorry, my friend, you are not ready from, for the kingdom of heaven. Because, because to be ready for the kingdom of heaven, you need to have a repentant heart that says, you did it all for me, Jesus. I bring nothing to the table. That's what it means to be saved by grace. I don't know, Bo, KD, maybe I'm being too harsh here. Maybe you need to soften these words. Or, or what would you say to folks who are listening, who are tr- maybe trying to bring something to the table? Um, when I heard these words, right, um, like I said, it was hard for me to wrap my brain around it. And I, it, it caused me to um, sort of look inside myself, right? Like if I'm, I, I had to start to let go of, of the covenants, right? Mm. Of the obedience, kind of of the law, similar to the Jews. Um, I wanted that to work at first. I wanted that to keep working because I thought if I brought that to God at the end, that he would say, wow, that's great. Good job. Check you're in, you know, but, um, learning and sort of kind of pushing up against this made me do some self-reflection. It kind of demanded me to, to, to say, well, why, why is this so hard for me to comprehend? This seems so simple and so easy. And I just realized I had a lot of, um, you know, self-righteousness. I wanted, I wanted to hold on to that work. And I, I didn't understand God's love fully because I wanted, I, I wanted something to earn, right? I thought I could earn his love. And um, then the beautiful realization that he gives us his love freely. We don't earn it. It's not a cat and mouse game of we do as much as we can, and then we sin and we repent, and he takes his spirit away when we are sinning, and then he brings it back when we repent. It's it's not like that, how I was brought up to believe. I, I had to realize that God loved me even if I was a sinner, right? He loved me and wanted me to have a relationship whether I had a temple recommend or not. And his grace is free. And I couldn't understand that because I'd been brought up for so long thinking I could earn it. And, and accepting a free gift was hard because of my pride. And so putting uh, my pride aside was hard at first. But then realizing that how simple this is and how beautiful this is, that's how I accept the gift. That's how I accept God in my life. And so that took some self-reflection. It took me butting up against this and realizing that I did have, you know, some walls between me and God that I could, I could break them. Those weren't God's walls. Those were mine. And so breaking through those and accepting grace. Now looking back, I'm like, well, of course that was, I, I'm so glad I did that. Now I find rest in him. But before 
yeah, I think that some people will have a hard time with this because, oh gosh, sometimes you just, you feel like you want to hold on to it, but then yeah, this demands you, demands you to recognize that God gives you a gift. You know what? For me, it was, it was so freeing. And I mean, here I was, I spent the last 30, 35, 36 years of my life just absolutely dedicated to something that, uh, that I felt, you know, had turned out to be something that was fabricated by, by Joseph Smith. And, and I had, I had dedicated countless hours to it. Um, and countless <laughs> hours trying to, to work my way to please God. And so this for me was so freeing and not, not in a way that I was all of a sudden like free to just live a wild life and free to sin. Like I was free to worship and pursue God in a way that had never been, had never, I'd never occurred to me before. And, and so when I realized that, that I was saved by Christ's grace, the moment I believed in him, I just wanted to know who Jesus was fully, right? Not, not the Jesus that I grew up believing in or grew up being taught about or the Jesus I taught people about on my mission or, or as a seminary teacher, I wanted to know the Jesus of the Bible. And, and, and the more I read about the Jesus of the Bible, the more I read about his gift and his grace, the more humbled I was that he cared enough to come to earth, bleed, die, and, and rise again for somebody like me. And the the more grateful uh, and and humbled I was. And and so that that but also the 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 more free I was to uh to believe and live a life in Jesus. So so for me it was it's weird to say it was the opposite because it I guess I guess on one hand it felt like I'd wasted the last 36 years, but I was just so grateful to to find the Jesus that I think I'd been looking for for the last, you know, 36 years of my life. So that I think is, is, is what it was for me. I, now uh, there's for sure some regret that I taught and baptized people on my mission. I I taught hundreds and hundreds of seminary students, Mm -hmm. a, a Jesus that is not a biblical Jesus but, but I know what I'm going to be doing with the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, and, and it's because, it's because of Jesus. It's because of uh, who he is and it's because of his free gift. People might be saying, could this really be true for me? Like, could this, could this sounds too good to be true. Could this really be true for me? And I've got one more verse for people. I love this verse, Romans 3.22. It says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We've, we've said that a million times now. So we see that is a theme over and over and over in the Bible. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, period, not by doing anything else. 
But then here's what it says in the next sentence. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So some people might be out there saying, oof, okay, I could see, I could see a, a return missionary that it could work for him because he probably didn't do all the stuff I did. Or, or, you know, KD, you're the same way. Like you're a faithful, devout, you know, you were the wife of a seminary teacher. You guys made next to nothing and you were like, whatever, we'll do it. Like both of you were all in. So some of our listeners might be saying, okay, I get it that you guys, that this would work for you guys but could it really be true for me? Katie, what would you say to the person who might be thinking that? I would love to talk to those people who come from a Mormon background who maybe feel like they failed, right? Like they maybe were baptized when they were eight, but in their teen years, you know, they did things that would disqualify them from attending the temple or from getting a temple recommend or getting married in the temple, all those things, or even people who have done things past that, you know, that I am the same. I am a sinner. And it's not how the Book of Mormon teaches, which is Christ saves us after all we can do. That is, that is a lie because we cannot do anything. My my good works list is not going to get me in. So for those people with Mormon background who feel like, well, you know, I, I've, I've really messed up. Like I, you don't even know what I've done. Well, God doesn't, he doesn't care. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to, to come to him, to have faith in Jesus Christ and taking that step, taking this step today, that's what, that, those are the scales that fall from Paul's eyes. Coming to faith in God oh, takes that veil away, and that is it. That, that's all. That's all it takes. So here's the good news. The pathway to salvation is simpler than you think. Jesus did the heavy lifting, you just believe. I don't know if you've noticed that. We've said it many times reading these verses, just believe. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than the skeletons in your closet. Just believe. The message of the cross can overcome your doubts. Just believe. Those who have trusted Jesus for salvation are made right with God in an instant, not in a lifetime of good works. This is what the Bible says about what we're calling saving faith. It's, it really is like a defining moment in your life. It's the most important defining moment in your life. And so I want to end today's podcast with something that that we evangelical Christians call a sinner's prayer. And I want to make sure people understand there's nothing magical about these words I'm about ready to read. But Bo and Katie, these, these were the words that you guys read when you went through topic six with us, when you put your faith in Jesus. And, and we just want to give people the same opportunity to, to, to pray the same prayer you guys prayed just a few months ago. Again, there's nothing simple there's nothing magical about this this isn't some kind of like mantra you don't nobody needs to go write this down this isn't scripture this is just a, a way to if you're looking for a way to articulate your faith remember romans 10 9 if you openly declare that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved so here's one way to do it you can pray a prayer like this in fact i want to encourage people listening right now if you're ready if you're driving your car maybe pull over to the side and pray a prayer just like this Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could have life. I'm turning from my sin now, and I'm turning to you in faith. 
I trust in you alone to forgive my sin and give me new life. Thank you for this free gift. Amen. Now, Bo and Katie, you prayed a prayer like that literally just a few months ago. I prayed a prayer like that when I was six years old. And I really believe, I don't, I don't know, we can get into this. This is for another episode. We can get into like when a person is really saved. I don't know. I, all I know is that I trust what God's word says, that, that when I believed in my heart, when I confessed it to him, then something happened in the court of heaven. Not, not somewhere on the rolls of some a membership list on, at some church somewhere. In the court of heaven which is infinitely more valuable than what some church somewhere says. And, and I, I was written, my, ne- my name was written, and your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're saved. We're children of God. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder about our eternal security, our salvation. We don't have to wonder about that. We know. We, we have this incredible confidence and this peace and this freedom that comes because Jesus did the work. It is finished. And there's nothing more that you or I can do to add to it. it we, we've been reading a lot of Paul's words, and I love, I love Paul, right? I love Peter. But, but I think it's important to understand what Jesus himself taught about this. And in John chapter 3, now everybody knows John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world, he gave the only begotten Son. But if you go to John three fourteen. Here's, here's what Jesus teaches here. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which represents you know, our sin, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, obviously on the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Period. And there it is again. right? The words of Jesus Christ himself, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that that is the truth of the gospel. That is the good news. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our God and King, who came to earth, died for us and rose again. And what he asks of us is to believe. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we wanna make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit pursuegod.org forward slash donate.